I'm Dr. Joe Thomas, and this is the Eighth Note Sessions. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to the Eighth Note Sessions. I'm Davin Mullen. And I'm Mike Shamil. And tonight we are joined by hospitalist <laughs> Dr. Joseph Thomas. Doc, how are we doing today? Pretty good. Thank you for having me back. Thanks for joining us. So we asked you on the show tonight uh, because we've had you as a previous guest, and we've sort of been keeping tabs on uh, the pandemic as it's progressed and enjoyed talking with you because you have really immediate frontline experience with it. Um, we are in kind of an odd position right now. As it, uh, it's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, we've seen the uh, sort of resurgence of the, the virus under a, a new variant named Delta. And it, the way forward ain't so clear. There's a lot of different information being uh, sort of shuffled about and, and how we as engaged, mindful citizens is changing from the day to day. Uh, what, are, what are your bits of advice on that? So, um, yeah, the, the, you, you, you bring it up in a good way. The, the virus has resurged um, in many parts of the country. We're seeing numbers close to um, what they were in peak 2020. Um, hospitals are filling. Um, hospitals are having to divert patients again uh, and, and stop what we call elective surgeries, but are really just non-emergent surgeries, but they're still necessary. Um, and all of that has to get put off again uh, in, uh, in service of people coming in um, incredibly sick again from, uh, from COVID-19, a lot of times the Delta variant. Um, right now where, where we live, it, it is under control still. Um, you know, there are a handful of, uh, of patients in the hospital with COVID-19 right now, um, but thankfully it is, it is still just a handful. That number might be rising, um, and, and that's what we're all concerned about at this point. Um, and so the, that's why things have started to change again with, um, with our guidance on, on how we go about the public. Um, the biggest thing remains uh, to get your vaccine, um, and, and I sound somewhat like a broken record uh, on social media, but that's all I can, you know, that's the most I can say right now is, is to get your vaccine because that's the thing that is going to protect us all. No vaccine is 100% guaranteed for the individual, but if we all get vaccinated, then um, there's that blanket of protection um, that we could secure for ourselves and for those of us who cannot yet get the vaccine or cannot mount the immune response uh, that we, you know, that, that the rest of us can, uh, can accumulate. Um, and that's also why masks have come back. Um, the resurgence and, and the fact that we don't have enough of the population vaccinated yet means that this, and, and this Delta variant is very contagious. It's more contagious by a significant degree than original COVID-19. And so we've asked people to start wearing masks um, in indoor areas, and especially, uh, admittedly, this is just the three of us. So the mask, and, and I know your vaccination statuses and you know mine, so I can feel comfortable not wearing a mask, but in indoor areas where you're not sure, um, or if it's more crowded, 
um, then definitely be wearing a mask. If you're outdoors, um, and again, if you're in a crowded place where there's a lot of people, especially if you don't know their vaccination status, again, we advise masks there too. Beautiful. So in in true, uh, we'll say 2021 20, fashion, I don't even know what this year is, but <laughs> who knows? The, the public health response to this is kind of one of opposition and, you know, adversarial sort of thinking. Um, and there's a lot of finger pointing at folks who are either vaccine hesitant or full-blown anti-vax. And that's, that's all well and good. But do you think that the, the problem solely resides in that, in that demographic? Or are there larger forces at play that we're to contend with? Uh, that's a that's a really good point. Um, and, and no, I, I don't think it is solely the vaccine hesitant or even the outright uh, anti-vaccination crowd. That is a frustrating um, demographic. Um, and but that's who I try to reach the most. And I, um, you know, I, I I've never been good at insults anyway. And so I, <laughs> I try not to insult those folks, but I do try to reach out to them as best I can and try to figure out where their hesitancy is coming from and and try to address that, whether it's a, a skepticism of the medical system in general or if there's misconceptions about COVID-19. Uh, we'll get back to the misconceptions part in a second. Sure. Um, but there are there is a substantial amount of people that either cannot yet get the vaccine or um, cannot mount the immune response that they should. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Um, the biggest demographic right now is children. Um, teens under 18 are eligible for the vaccine, um, as long as they're over 12. Um, but there's a substantial amount of hesitation there, which is understandable, um, given parental responsibility. Um, but we've seen that those, um, you know, the, the teens that have, have gotten the vaccine, most of them have done very well. If there have been side effects, they've been minimal, um, or they've resolved fairly quickly. Um, the, the biggest ones that can't get, um, vaccinated right now are children under 12. We're hoping to see uh, emergency use authorization and hopefully full FDA approval by midwinter. Um, that, that was originally planned for the early fall, and then it got pushed back because they wanted to get more people in the trials, and those trials are recruiting. Um, but I'm hoping that we'll see that soon um, as, as these trials get underway and that monitoring happens. Um, but until then, those those folks, uh, those you know, our our children, our, our our most precious of our population, are not yet protected, um, and that's why I am a staunch advocate of masking. I'm not a parent, but big staunch advocate of masks in schools for everybody uh, until they can get vaccinated, um, and getting everybody that can get vaccinated vaccinated as soon as possible. And that also applies to people who are immunocompromised, people who have had organ transplants or other autoimmune diseases that where they have to take these medications that suppress their immune system and therefore can't um, mount the same immune response that the rest of us can. And we've seen that. And the FDA uh, announced uh, this week that they're going to approve uh, a booster dose, a third dose, um, or a uh, an additional mRNA vaccine dose to those who have gotten the single dose vaccines for that population. The evidence hasn't been strong enough to recommend boosters in uh, in most of us that uh, have 
for lack of a better term, competent immune systems um, that can form that response. But for this population, the boosters have uh, uh, are, are about to be approved or they have been approved. So something that's kind of comes up in this framework is um, an idea of government overreach that like with a lot of things, and, and sometimes it can be sort of self-defeating, um, you know, in terms of the politics surrounding it. The idea that uh, government shouldn't tell you you have to wear a mask, and, and there are some pretty heinous memes which have come up, you know, saying lightly that this is an infringement on my civil liberties, but, mm -hmm. you know, you'll see uh, just horrendous images uh, accompanying that. For me personally, that doesn't carry much water the, the sort of equivalency that wearing a mask is an infringement on your civil liberties. Is, is there any kernel of, what, what's the good takeaway from that? The, I, I, I think that part of that comes from uh, an, an overall um, skepticism of government in general, which there's plenty of. Um, and even in medicine, um, you know, there used to be a very paternalistic attitude that medicine used to have. And um, those of us that are coming up now are are trying to erase that um, and make more of a team-based approach with our patients. The idea that mandating masks um, or even vaccines um, or, or having a vaccine requirement to go places um, is a, an impingement on on civil liberties uh, doesn't hold much water for me either. I understand where it's coming from, but I think that's different in matters of public health. Um, you know, it's it's not the same as because people always want to complain uh, or compare it to sugary soft drinks and 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 fatty foods and such. But those still remain very individual um, risks that people uh, may or may not take. Whereas this is more like traffic laws and and seat belts and 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 traffic lights and lanes we're all told and required and you have to take a test to ensure that you will uh, follow those rules and understand those rules because of the danger that you can pose to somebody else when you're on the road and the same thing goes right now for covid 19. Um, masks and vaccines are the way we prevent other people because i can't tell you how many people I've treated in the hospital who did everything they could do. They stayed at home. They, they, they wore masks whenever they had to go out. They, they, they cleaned off all their stuff. But a relative who saw somebody else maybe wasn't as careful or, um, or, or they had a friend who wasn't as careful and then they bring it to this other person. And that's the person that, that first person is the one that gets sick and ends up in the hospital. Um, and so requiring masks and vaccines prevents that, uh, prevents that spread and prevents people from dying, frankly. Um, and, and so I don't think that is a sacrifice of civil liberties or an impingement on civil liberties. I think that is, that is public health and that is what we have to do to get out of this mess. So going further with that, if we're talking about public health, one of the, um, that's, I would say, emergent threats to, to democratic and enlightened discourse is uh, this and misinformation as it stands. And in terms of uh, COVID vaccines and the, the efficacy of masks and just 
generally accepted and agreed upon scientific knowledge. Mm -hmm. All these things are sort of being called in the question, um, especially on social media, where uh, these sort of misleading, ambiguously sourced claims are are abundant. But but I, I got these memes that my friends shared to me, you know, and they align with my bias. They're right, right? Yeah, they're right. What? <laughs> How? No, that's that's great. Thanks, thank you for the levity. I appreciate it. Getting getting too deep into it, but how how do you sort of sidestep that process, and how do you speak with people who are utterly convinced on essentially this house of cards reality? You know, right? I I appreciate you bringing that back up because that was a, a a point that I um, had started to address earlier, and then got off on my own tangent, but. Um, but yeah, there there has been more than ever um, this rampant uh, misinformation, which is a, a misunderstanding of of a concept or or, or a medical uh, item, uh, and disinformation, which is the purposeful spread of of misinformation or of false information to to gain some sort of secondary uh, prize, whether that's clout or money or grifting somehow. The um, and and it's 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 more apparent and more rampant than it ever has been um, because of the ease of the internet and of social media. Um, they've actually found that there, uh, the sixty or seventy percent of the false medical information out there can actually be traced back to twelve people. They call them the disinformation dozen: um, Joseph Merkola, um, uh, Sherry Tenpenny. There's a few other ones. Um, Ten other ones to crazy, be exact, names. right? <laughs> um, and and they have these these catchy memes um, or or these uh, the, the these juicy tidbits where they you know they they frame it as a, as the conspiracy. The CDC has been lying to you this whole time. Um, now, I should say, I've had my disagreements with the CDC on some of their messaging. I mean, I'm just a schmuck in Buffalo, but I, I've had my disagreements with the CDC in, uh, in terms of messaging and in terms of some of their recommendations. But overall, the CDC and the WHO have done everything they could to evolve with the science. Um, and so, but you get these folks that spread these, these memes because they're catchier, they're phrased well, they, they sound scientific. Um, even if, if you look deeper or if you have an understanding of what they're trying to talk about, it's hogwash. The, the most recent one was a, uh, a doctor named Dan Stock, who uh, was in this. Um, there's a video of him circulating now uh, uh, at a school board meeting in Indiana, um, and he he talks about himself as a functional family physician, which is not a recognized specialty. Um, there's a definition by the Cleveland Clinic, um, and he completely misstates that definition, um, overstates his own expertise. And he goes on to talk about several scientific-sounding concepts, and he gets every one of them wrong. And and so my, um, can I plug my own blog here? Yeah, yeah, because I was going to bring that <laughs> up at some point. Um, uh, shamelessly, I have a blog, um, and I and it, it evolved out of your Facebook posts where you were trying to, you know, educate people and start swatting at these disinformation flies on your feed. 
That, and, and that's exactly what it is. Also, I'm really grateful that all three of us talk with our hands, so <laughs> I don't look as ridiculous. Um, but yeah, that's exactly what it was. Uh, I started making these Facebook posts to try to address all this disinformation, and and I had friends who weren't on Facebook. Um, I I also tend to wax quite poetic about some of these things, um, so I started a blog, and um, I, I I had to address a lot of these claims, and so my latest blog post has done that, and there's and several other scientific communicators who are able to dedicate far more time than I am. Um, have done done so as well. Um, my, my favorite one right now um, for this uh, particular issue is a guy named Ed Nirenberg. He um, runs a site called Deplatform Disease. Um, and if you go to his website, he's got a whole thing where he blow by blow goes through each concept that is talked about in this Indiana school board meeting and how the guy got it wrong. Um, and we don't do that for our own, like we're, we're not happy about this. But there's so much misinformation and people seize on that because everybody's looking for an easy way out of this pandemic and there isn't one. Um, sure, because vaccines are scary and needles are scary and no one wants to deal with allergic reactions to things. And some people are just willing to try and sidestep as much as they can and ignore that responsibility. It, it's true. And, and because... And, and because this, you know, everything did happen very quickly. Um, and so people think that, <clears throat> excuse me, People do think that skip, uh, steps were skipped uh, in development. Um, that it, you know, the per, the persistent myth that it hasn't been studied enough when it really has. Um, we've had mRNA vaccines um, created for the last ten or so years. They, you know, the the diseases they were designed for, um, either the those diseases died down. Um, you know, uh, the pandemic died down, things like Zika and uh, the, the last round of Ebola. Um, but they made mRNA vaccines for those. Um, they just never had to make it to the distribution phase. And the other problem we had was that we only recently kind of figured out how to store mRNA vaccines um, because it is such a um, unstable molecule. Um, and so it has to be kept in these, these ultra-cold temperatures, like negative 80 um, which is um, not something that is readily available to a lot of the public, um, and that's why distribution was so difficult, even with this round of the, uh, you know, with with this round of vaccines. But, but that doesn't mean they're new, um, and we've been studying them for for years and years. Um, the idea that uh, we don't know what the long term side effects are going to be, any side effect that has come from a vaccine, has emerged in the first six to eight weeks. Coincidentally, to get emergency use authorization for a vaccine, you have to monitor after the phase three trial, because you still have to go through phase one, two, and three, you have to monitor for two months, as opposed to FDA approval, which is six months. But two months. So that includes that 68 period. So we would have seen any uh, any side effects, any long-term side effects that came from these uh, vaccines. And now we're a year out from the phase three trials. Uh, of the of the uh, Moderna, the Pfizer, and the J and J trials, um, uh, we're rapidly approaching that with uh, AstraZeneca, and there have been, I think, I think the last count was 4.4 billion doses of the vaccine given worldwide. That's not um, enough. I, I, We've eaten more Big Macs than that. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it is you're very true it really is i mean it's you know all joking aside i mean that's a huge amount of data and test pool isn't it it is um and and that's why you know, we and we see the data come out, and we you know we do see these very rare side effects. You know, we, people were afraid of blood clots uh, and myocarditis, uh, which is an inflammation of the heart muscle. But the those effects were for every million doses. Uh, I think there were twelve cases of myocarditis, and I think three cases of of vaccine induced thrombocytopenic uh, uh, thrombosis, uh, the blood clots. That's such a small number. It's so unlikely. It's it's almost hard to attribute these conditions to the vaccines because there's a decent chance that those would have happened anyway in, you know, a population that didn't have vaccines. And that's what we compare it to. That said, you know, we do tell people to watch for those symptoms because the most you'll get is, you know, if you get a persistent headache, if you get some chest pain, you get checked out. But a lot of times these things are treatable and and or they resolve on their own within a matter of days to maybe a week. And that and that's only if you get them. They're so rare. Most time, most of the time, any side effects you get from the vaccine wear off within 36 hours. But it's hard to drive that home when there's so much other disinformation out there trying to take away from that. And I think part of the problem is the the language of science as it sort of speaks to those who aren't, you know, in a scientific field. And if what we've seen from 2016 is any indication, public shaming isn't really, whether or not it's virtuous, that that's another discussion, but it's not effective. Right. It doesn't bring people over to the you know, the, the common point of understanding or anything. Agreed. Um, there's a, one, one of the common talking points, I guess, from people who are uh, basically pandemic denialists, which is a, a wild, wild thing, is uh, you had said that it's hard to attribute deaths um, from these, from uh, inflammation of the heart or the blood clots to people who receive the vaccine. There's a sort of counter narrative that it's hard to attribute deaths where there were underlying conditions to COVID specifically. Why is that not not necessarily the case? Why is that claim false? Um, so th- there's a couple of ways I could address that. Um, there there was first the myth um, that that still persists. I, I've I've found recently that um, that we were faking diagnoses of COVID. Um, people would come, you know, the, the, uh, common, uh, meme was, uh, oh, people went to the hospital with a car crash and they were labeled a COVID death. Um, that's not really how that works. Um, there's too many, um, oversight factors. There's too many, uh, people in a hospital to, to fake a diagnosis. Um, you have to write notes, you get audited, um, the, you know, there are other people looking at those notes. There are doctors, there are nurses, there are administrators. Um, and if if people were trying to fake their way through a diagnosis, people would say stuff. Uh, and there are avenues for that. Um, and so we don't do that. Um, the way death certificates work, um, I've, I've addressed this uh, before, but you, um, you know, you have the 
principal cause, which whether that was a cardiac arrest or a respiratory arrest um, or some other factor, and then what it was underlyingly due to. Um, and for my COVID patients, it's usually, um, hypo- you know, the respiratory failure and a lack of oxygen um, and an inability to breathe due to a viral pneumonia caused by COVID-19. Um, and people were like, oh, people, you know, hospitals are getting more money for COVID diagnoses. The way that works is it's an insurance thing. The, uh, if you label somebody, if you diagnose somebody with pneumonia, that merits a certain amount of reimbursement from the insurance company. But if you say um, acute lack of oxygen and respiratory failure due to a bacterial pneumonia secondary to streptococcus pneumoniae, the bacteria, if that's what grows on their culture, that merits a higher level of reimbursement. And the same thing with a viral pneumonia due to COVID-19 or due to whatever other virus. The, so, so that's that piece. And then the other talk about underlying conditions um, that's cause that, and that was the pervasive thinking at the beginning was we thought that people with, um, chronic conditions, uh, would be more susceptible to COVID-19. But if you did a deeper dive, the most, you know, of all the groups of people that were labeled as having underlying conditions, the most common underlying condition was high blood pressure, something where, you know, so many Americans have it and they may, you know, some of them take multiple medications for it, but many people take a pill and it controls their high blood pressure, but that's still an underlying condition. Um, people thought the elderly were more susceptible and to some extent they are, but I've had plenty of patients that have been um, as, as young as, as, as the two of you and me, because we're all the same age, um, and, and younger. Um, and now with the Delta variant, we're starting to see children uh, in, in higher numbers um, who have no underlying conditions. Um, some of them do, but many of them don't. And, and people are still getting sick. People are still ending up on massive amounts of oxygen in the hospitals, needing, uh, you know, heavy doses of, of steroids and other treatments, um, ending up on ventilators. And it, it, it doesn't matter what their previous health was. Um, once you get it, if you come through it, that's wonderful. But, um, but there's a chance that you can get heavily affected by it. Um, and it doesn't care about what you had going on before. So the, the, the pull back from that, that sort of precipice of oblivion, because talking any plague narrative, it, it brings it down. Your account, the relative to the rest of the world, seems to be doing pretty good mm-hmm. at this point. And Go Erie County, seriously, <laughs> yeah. up, guys. And an outlook not not rosy by any stretch, but maybe less less disastrous than it would have seen a, a year ago. Um, we've to to bring back to the the root of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we're usually here to talk about music. Um, oh right, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so we've seen a, a return of live shows in full force. I've I've seen you out at shows and you know um, and and everything. Um, we're putting on a big festival uh, next month, 9-11. What is, are you going to be in attendance? Uh, as of now, yes. Okay. Um, I, I'm, I'm off that weekend. Um, I, I've been looking forward to it for a while. And you're right. Um, Erie County and, and large swaths of the Northeast in general um, have been doing relatively well. 
Um, there is still um, a resurgence in transmission, but it hasn't been as bad as in other parts of the country. That could change, um, and, 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 and maybe things will get worse. But as it stands right now, I'm hoping that it will be um, – if it is, it'll be small and it will it will be controlled quickly, um, and hopefully more and more people will get vaccinated um, to protect us from that. But um, to 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 talk about what we're talking about, um, yes, I, I I have been looking forward to music as art for quite some time. Um, it's it's my friends. It's it's the connection to the Buffalo music scene that I didn't quite have before, and and that saw a, uh, for lack of a better term, resurgence <laughs> in this, uh, a good uh, resurgence, uh, yes, uh, the best yes. resurgence possible. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I, I've been looking forward to seeing all the performances there. And I think that, um, going back to what I kind of said at the beginning, it, you know, cause a lot of this is outdoors. Um, if you're in a crowded area, if you're shoulder to shoulder with people, um, you know, I would bring a mask and probably put that on just to prevent transmission. Um, if you're away from the crowd a little bit, if you're just with your friends who you know their vaccination status, yeah, take off your mask. Um, but just be a little bit more diligent um, than you might have hoped to be. Um, and I, th I think we could still have a great time. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's what I'm looking forward to. <clears throat> I said that's what I'm looking forward to. Jeez. Um I want to double back a little bit to vaccinations. Um, I know we just got back into music, but I'm just going to, you know, pedal us back a, a few steps. Um, for the folks that have gotten vaccinated early on, and now they're already six months or past their six month point, mm -hmm. what's in the near future for them? Do you think it's getting close to the possibility of a booster shot for them or are they bueno for now? Uh, that's a good question. Um, uh, I'm in that early category. Uh, I, I, I got my vaccinations. Uh, my second dose was January 5th. Um, and, you know, they, they offered them to uh, the hospital workers. And so I, I jumped at the chance. Um, as we stand, um, as long as you are not on any immunosuppressant medications, um, the, the data shows that our protection is still good. Um, even against Delta variant, uh, the mRNA vaccines especially uh, still have a pretty high um, uh, level of protection, a high level of, of antibody creation against even the Delta variant. Um, it is slightly lower, excuse me, than it was to the original COVID-19, um, but still plenty of it. Um, it's still been very effective. It's still meets the end point of what the original goal of the vaccines were, which is preventing hospitalizations and severe illnesses and death. Um, we've seen, um, and, and, and I'll, I'll, I, I promise I'll bring it back, but we, we, we have seen some outbreaks in places that have, have had high vaccination rates, and the headlines have been uh, the most recent uh, or the biggest, biggest story recently was Provincetown, Massachusetts. And uh, the headlines were 74% of uh, COVID-19 um, victims were uh, vaccinated. But when you have a city where 95 or 99% of their population is vaccinated, if there's an outbreak, it will be mostly vaccinated people that, that catch it because um, you can still catch uh, COVID-19 even with the vaccine. However, those people were ultimately far more protected. The people that suffered the most 
um, and around the United States continue to suffer the most, continue to be the most the longest hospitalized and have the most requirements in terms of intervention, remain the unvaccinated. Um, I, I, uh, Baton Rouge released uh, statistics recently. 99% of people with COVID in the ICU are unvaccinated. Um, and, and that 1% is still a very small number. I think in some places it's even smaller than that. Um, but so going back to your original point, um, as of now, if you got the mRNA vaccines, um, it is not recommended. We don't have enough evidence to recommend a booster at this time. They're still researching that. So that may change. If you got the uh, Johnson & Johnson vaccine or one of the other um, non-mRNA vaccines, um, they're looking into that too. Um, uh, definitely for those in the immunocompromised um, category. Um, but even if not, um, there there is some evidence to show that if you had a single-dose vaccine, um, or a non-mRNA, and then you get an mRNA vaccine after that, um, your uh, immunity does rise substantially where um, they had a little bit lower efficacy against Delta variant. So that's where we're at. Um, and there will be more on that to come, and it'll be on my blog. So generally speaking, to sort of sum it up, it, it just gives you slightly thicker skin. So you'll have a like a paper cut instead of a gouge. It's, it, it's yet another layer of protection, yeah. absolutely. Now, we're almost out of time, so real quick, uh, back to rock and roll and music land. I know, it's a little bit jarring. Um, can you give us the quick spiel of what you got coming up? Uh, thank you. Um, so I, I play in a band called uh, Mayday Buffalo, um, and we're a we're a '90s and 2000s mostly, but we do a little bit of every uh, of every decade uh, in covers, and we've got some originals too. Um, uh, we've got uh, a few different shows coming up. Um, I, uh, I I think we mentioned that our uh, the our our next show might uh, be. Uh, before this actually comes out, but that's okay. We play at the Transit Music Lounge a lot, um, and so you'll probably catch us there. Um, the next public show we have uh, is uh, the Elk Street Car Show at the end of August, so if you like cars, you'll see us there. Um, and uh, I do play around with uh, some other folks, um, uh, Sarah Elizabeth, who I know has been on this podcast before um, and, and has been a longtime uh, friend and collaborator of mine. Um, I, you might catch me with her at uh, you know one of these gigs. Um, nothing on the books as of yet, but uh, uh, whenever I'm off, um, off from the hospital and she is gracious enough to allow me to play. Uh, and then I play with Michael Nowak, and I think the last Friday in August um, uh, will be at Dwyer's, I believe. Um, and so you can, you can catch me there, too. Beautiful. Well, Doc, thanks so much, as always, for, for making time under your busy schedule. Um, it was my pleasure. Well, Hopefully this will be the last time we, we speak, but I, I have a feeling. Uh, well, at least uh, about COVID. In the podcast. Yeah. 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 Hopefully other things in the yeah, future. Yeah, you know, yeah. Let's have <laughs> a drink like sometime. Your collection. I just love them. <laughs> I, I, I do, and I, uh, I, I wore the music one for, uh, for this one, and I'll, I'll make sure I get some more for uh, next time. Love it. All right, and with that, I'm Devin Mullen. And I'm Mike Shamil. And this has been the 8th Note Sessions. Catch you next time.
The Eighth Note Sessions are produced by Music is Art. Help keep programs like this going by donating today at musicisart.org. Thank you for listening.